This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. We have a very special guest. The great state of Tennessee, one of my favorite cities for a weekend trip, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Miss Tracy Cotton. How are you, Tracy? I'm doing fantastic, David. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, Chattanooga, um, a lot of inspiration of things I do in my current life from things that I did when I was in Chattanooga over the years, because I lived in Birmingham for a number of years, and it was only like two 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 and a half hours, maybe three hours to get up there and just hang out and have a change of scenery. And that was before Birmingham really went through a massive revitalization. It's a whole different city than it was when I lived there now. Like it's, it's a big city and has big city things. But when I lived there, if you wanted big city things, you had to go to Atlanta and you right. could go to a bunch of other places that were relatively close. And it's kind of centrally located. I mean, you're relatively close to Nashville, to Chattanooga. I mean, there's there's so many places. In Beach, I mean, you go south and go to the Panhandle if you want to hit the Redneck Riviera down there. Yeah. You know? Um, but what I liked about Chattanooga and what, where, I went with, where I was going with the inspiration thing is one of my buddies got married – in Chattanooga probably 25 years ago at this point. And his parents did one of the coolest things that I had ever seen done to that point for a re- like a, a rehearsal dinner. And they rented out the aquarium. They had the whole aquarium oh, wow. to themselves. So fast forward in 2018, 2019, yeah, 2018, we rented out the Florida aquarium for our holiday. All we bash. do is rent out aquariums. Yeah, like that's the new thing for us, right? I've only been yeah. through Chattanooga. I've never really – I was just a, a passerby on our way to Ohio. Well, I can tell you. I've seen Rock City. I've seen Ruby Falls. I really don't need to go back to either once you've seen them once, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, but the, uh, the one thing I've not done in Chattanooga that a lot of my friends raved about was the Alpine roller coaster thing that they have up there. That's like the old school, like not – it's not like a – roller coaster like it's a gravity deal where you lay on your back on this metal mm. cart and roll down the tracks they've got them it's like the ones when you go on the go on a cruise and you go to um, royal caribbean's private island and they have that thing 
it's the same same general thing, from what I understand, anyhow. But it's on the side of a mountain, so you're hauling tail by the time you get to the bottom. I'm gonna sit that out. So you same. have not been in Chattanooga for long, but before we get to what got you there, why don't you just give us the ten thousand foot overview on how you uh, up until let's let's do pre Chattanooga, post Chattanooga. Sounds like a plan. I am getting ready to celebrate 28 years in the insurance industry. I started out in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm originally from, and I was an underwriter for a non-standard auto carrier. That sounds terrible. (laughs) It was uh, was fascinating. Uh, I came from, I literally graduated with a psychology degree and ended up in Hmm. insurance. You know, the typical person in insurance didn't start out there. And... Answer to one ad, of course, that back in the day. A what? A one ad, yes. It was one of those. (laughs) And I I ended up in North Carolina. That was one of the states that was actually, that I was an underwriter for was was North Carolina for for a couple of years. And ended up there probably because I thought that the agents thought they knew everything. And they really did. Uh, Once I got there, I realized that there was, uh, North Carolina was very difficult on the insurance end and, it was quite the learning experience, but I stayed there for most of my career. I went from being in personal lines. I was a CSR, worked my way up into being a producer in personal lines, as well as a manager. And then I decided I wanted to go to the dark side, ended <laughs> up in commercial lines, started back out as a CSR again, and then worked my way uh, up a little. And then I took a little sidetrack. And I worked for Astonish Results for about nine months as a consultant, traveled the country, got to spend a lot of time in agencies and seeing what was kind of going on behind the scenes and realized how much of a bigger world it was than what I had seen on the on the agency side before. And then came back to the same agency that I left, which was Moral Insurance Agency. And at that point, I was able to transition into being a producer on the commercial side and started out in small commercial and created a niche there, became the farm-to-fork producer of the agency. And Hmm. then I decided to leave North Carolina, and that's how I ended up in Chattanooga. Now I'm doing something of a little of all the above. So all the different things that I've done up until this point have kind of led me into the position I'm in now, and uh, it's an exciting new position for me. So farm-to-fork, that is very specific. How How did that come about? I had really enjoyed working with small commercial and did a lot of Main Street type of business at first, but loved, loved, loved anything that had to do with food. I, I, I it was in that that food scene actually in the Western North Carolina, which where I was, was living at the time, and it was just booming. It was so much to do, and it was really easy to get into. But I and I, I'm kind of I like I like the idea of you know an inch wide and a mile deep versus the the mile wide and the inch deep. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't just, I could just leave it right at restaurants or, or coffee grinders. I mean, like, you know, basically I just had, to, you know, I just had to expand because I recognized that it was more of a, a microcosm that you had, especially in that particular scene. And I'm seeing it in a bigger way in other parts of the country now where they were so tied together. The restaurants wanted to work with the actual farmers and, and the farmers were working with the brewers and actually saying, Hey, we can grow the stuff that you want for your next brew, uh, whether it be ginger beer or something. And there was like this whole microcosm going on there. And because I love connection, 
it was excellent for me to get into and just play around in that little that little microcosm. It was so much fun. And I just decided to call it Farm to Fork. That described exactly what I was working on and or plowed a pint. That was the other thing because, you know, had to work with some of those breweries and wineries as well. It was a great time. Go. That's great branding. Yeah. That's absolutely great branding. It was fun. I actually just, I attribute, you know, the fact that I got to be around a lot of other growing uh, agencies at the time that I was learning from friends in the industry and saw what other people were doing. And, and that was, you know, it was where I was able to, to try to find my own niche. And that was what I decided to do. Well, I'll tell you, Chattanooga, not a bad food scene on its own. It, and my it, legendary it story, be. yeah, my legendary story, and Kyle's heard this one before of Chattanooga, is when I went to Big City Brewery and didn't realize that the refills on their brewed cream soda that they have there, a root beer, I don't remember if I was drinking cream soda or root beer, were free. And my check came and I had drunk like 50 bucks worth of soda. <laughs> it's not stroked out. Wow. That's a lot of soda. It's lot a lot of, sugar. of soda. Yeah. Uh, so, so talk about Chattanooga. Like, what what are you doing now that's different? I when I when I left North Carolina, I decided to sell my my house in North Carolina. I wanted to move to back, be closer to family. I'm two hours away from uh, from them now, um, and that was really good because I didn't realize then that was uh, in September of. 2020, I just had gotten my house ready and knew that the market was really booming. And if I was going to do something, I needed to do it soon. Mm -hmm. Did that and was trying to find some place to land. Looked at Knoxville. For a minute, I looked at Nashville. I just didn't want to move back there. I loved it when I was living there, but I didn't want to get back in that whole scene. It's It's gotten so big. But I loved Chattanooga because we used to come down to Chattanooga from Nashville growing up. And I wanted that opportunity to do some of the things that I'd done in Asheville, get outdoors, enjoy the food and beverage scene, but not be doing it on the scale that's in Nashville, as well as the fact that it's just a much more outdoorsy city in Chattanooga than it really is in Nashville. Nashville's, you know, a lot of fun, but it's it's not got the same outdoor. I can be, I can go hiking, I can go kayaking in, you know, all in the same afternoon if I wanted to stand up paddling, hmm. it's right nearby. It's a lot of things to do close by and Still in that idea of that being a very central location, because you're right, I can be down to Atlanta or back to Nashville within a couple of hours time. There's a great airport here, and I thought that it would be a good place to land. But I was looking and I was realizing that what I had developed and grown for the farm to fork, I just didn't know if I wanted to try to do it again. I had done seven years of it. I gave it a great run. Felt great about it. Thought about the idea of transferring it into Tennessee and just rolling with it. And I had done blogs and videos and there was a lot that I kind of felt good about. And then I also realized that I wanted to be able to get a job. And I thought, I, I've got opportunity here, but I just, what if I did something different? It's, you know, it's, what if I tried something different? And I happened to be looking through Indeed Found a couple opportunities here in Chattanooga. One would have been actually basically like starting. It would have been basically taking and almost like a startup. And I looked at that opportunity and it would have been really interesting. They literally had just gotten their, they literally had just gotten their, uh, their management system. They were just getting their carriers together. They were taking over part of a book of business. And I just thought, I don't know. I mean, 
that sounds so exciting and I could really get into it. That'd be fantastic to have my, you know, be able to put my thumbprint on something. And I thought, I don't know that I want to do that. Here I'm moving into a town that I really want to spend all this time getting out and doing things. And then I'm going to go ahead and just marry myself to a new job, like marry mm-hmm. myself to a job. Cause I could, I could just tell that this was going to be a lot of work, a lot of work. Yeah. Or I could go to work for an agency that was a hundred years old, like the one I had <laughs> left, had all the great benefits as well as a really growing, like a growth mentality that I felt was, was tenable. And I could take over a whole new role and the role as, and I got to name it even, I got to decide what my name, my, I got to name my own, my my own title is executive client manager. And I work with the, uh, the largest producer in the agency and I get to duplicate their efforts is what it amounts to. There's a gap that I, I recognize for a lot of producers where they they run into this wall where they've grown enough that they've got this great client base. They're really and they're starting to really make some money, but they want to continue to grow. They're like they, they they love the sales. They want to keep on with the sales, or there there are other things within the agency that they're busy with, like as an ownership perhaps if they in management. And what do they do with their book of business? Because in many cases, the account managers or CSRs, they're going to be fantastic at what they're doing. They're going to be really good with those numbers. They're going to be really good with getting those certificates out. But they're not going to be able to do some of the same things that the, the producer would have been able to do with those same clients. There's this gap there where they they need almost like a second them to actually manage the book of business while they continue to produce. And I just see that that's a possibility that there's definitely some agencies out there that are trying. And Star Matthews said, hey, this is what we're looking for. We want somebody to have the same kind of conversations with the clients that the producer would, whether it be renewal conversations, whether it be midterm conversations, actually getting into the risk management, actually talking about their audits, actually going into the loss control visits, being part of that process. But it not actually having to have the producer there 100% of the time. And that's where I'm at now. So you are taking 28 years of experience and taking that out to make sure that those accounts stay on the books is what I'm hearing. Yes. And it's, you know, do it, you do much in terms of new business stuff for with producers or are you pretty much a, I mean, cause I would view you as being a retention specialist, right? As an absolute rock star going in on those key accounts and making sure that you're the glue that holds them together and they never leave us. So interesting that you say glue. I actually almost picture it as being a lubricant, if you will. Oh, Call me the right. WD-40 of the agency. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of trying to get everybody to stick to us as much as reducing the friction that I see that actually happens very often at the renewal process. But I also have had the opportunity because, like I said, the producer that I'm working with, he's continuing to churn in the business. And now he's got a more, I think, a more vibrant onboarding process because of what I'm able to do for the clients that are coming in as new clients that they had not actually had a process for before. They'd had a process, but not the kind of process that I wanted to see for that level of client. It, you know, that everybody else had, you know, like, you know, you fill out this form, you turn, you know, you, you know, sign this online and you've got this going on, you get some certificates, everything's great. But I really wanted people to, to be able to plug in from the get-go and really start feeling like we're part of, 
you know, we're, the, we're part of the risk management. We're, we're a partner in their, their business there. And that's something that I just, I, the one guy in this particular case, one guy just, you know, there's only so much that he can do and he can definitely, you know, he can get the business and, and has done really well at it for over a decade now. He's one of the Matthews of Star Matthews. Just, I mean, people love doing business with him, but they also, I think what they were looking for in most cases is that they also needed to be able to keep, to reach him 24-7 almost. Like ongoing support. That ongoing support. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the, ha- that's the occupational hazard specifically. I mean, I'm not going to say specifically, but certainly in the middle market, right? And yes. I think one of the things that helped me early in my career when I was a producer in the middle market was I used the custom risk services department of our agency, like what they're using you for. Right. In, in terms of, we didn't, it was never... So we visited the sick, no different than what I do at Florida Risk. We were looking for people who needed help. We knew they needed hand-holding. But then it was a more natural progression. I don't want to say necessarily more natural, but it was it was a natural progression for me to have custom risk services come in and honor the service timeline, right? They're going to be the ones who do the loss control visits, whether it be something we were doing or something they were doing in conjunction with the carrier or whatever else. And so they became the people that were in the account literally, you know, once a month, sometimes every other week. And the relationship was cemented by having those people there. And truthfully, I never gave it a second doubt that I was going to hold on to that account because we were embedded. Once they were in, we were embedded. And so it was really liberating for me as a producer to know that they had my back and we're going to keep that account on the books. I would do the things I, it's not like I would neglect my clients, but I didn't. I knew that I didn't have to be in there all the time. I knew that if there was an issue with uh, an accident report or an incident report or whatever else, that was going to go to custom risk services. They were going to sort it out with the people there. I would be copied on the emails and could review it at a high level, but I didn't have to be involved in the mechanics. And I basically was able to do nothing but produce, mm-hmm. period. And if you look at what – and I, I don't have any experience working with a national broker – I've competed against them, and I know people who do. But the model you're describing sounds very similar to what I hear from friends of mine that work at Marsh, Willis, Aon, because they're taking someone who has the exact same skill set as a producer, essentially, but maybe just doesn't necessarily want to be a producer or, you know, for whatever reason. And so the producer goes out, and they hook it, and they bring it in, and then the, that other person cleans it and fries it and maintains it for the, the rest of the time that it's there, right? Yeah. That's, that's, what I, that's how I look at that. That is a very valuable role Definitely. in the life of a middle market producer, period. In any middle market producer who has that resource, better take care of that resource because that is only going to make them a better producer. It's going to make the agency more valuable because their book will be more valuable. But we can focus on the one thing we love to do, and that is just go out, hunt, and kill. Hunt Mm -hmm. and kill. I don't ever want to be account executive. I don't ever want to have to worry. You know, I've been in the office by myself for the last week, and and it was just a. This was a perfect storm of crap that yeah. I've been dealing with all week. I have COVID, right? 
for the, I'm, I'm, not, I'm obviously back now, but I had COVID starting last weekend and it got nasty. Like it was, I pushed myself too early. I came back Tuesday and I'm just like, yeah, that was a bad move. Wednesday, I was down for the count again. Yesterday, I worked a full day, felt great all day, was definitely drained of energy when I got home, but didn't really, it wasn't sick. And then today I feel perfectly, I'm, I'm literally probably like 95% at this point. Mm-hmm. I can still, you know, I still have some issues, but you know, Nicole, literally <laughs> I send the text out to everybody over the weekend that I've got COVID, no sales meeting Monday, everything else. And Nicole texts me um, and says, I got selected for jury duty. I'm like, oh my gosh. So this is my safety valve in the office so that if there's anything that needs to be done outside of what is immediately the task at hand for me here, I have heard it that I can fall back on. And then you throw it another step that my oldest son is getting ready to come into the agency. Today is actually his last day of working at Publix. And on Monday, he starts full-time at Florida Risk. But I've taken literally the last two months to train him because he's not coming in to do anything at all insurance related. He's coming in to do all of our media production stuff, video editing, blog posting. And he knows, he knows about, he knows about it, but he doesn't know about it. Like he doesn't Mm. know the ins and the outs. And he certainly doesn't know the way that I want to do things and all of that. And so, you know, I had, I've taken, I've been really, really as, as patient as I humanly can be. And that's a big ask for me. And for the last couple of months, almost every morning, and, and listen, there's a re, there's a lesson to be learned here. I've come in and I've spent my time in the mornings, which are is usually my time in the morning, yeah. <laughs> training him on how to do the different things that I'm going to expect of him when he comes on board. And you know, if I had a Tracy Cotton, I would have no anxiety at all with that happening, but I don't, you know, we're still very much set up. Like you would expect a traditional agency mm-hmm. and, and you know, Tracy, if you ever want to come to the sunshine <laughs> state, you know, we might have something to talk about, but you know, that's, that's something that I can see a role. We're, we're going through the EOS piece with traction right now. We're, we're putting in the entrepreneurial operating system. You know, I, we, we've tried to kick it off three different times and well, guess what? When you're not on it, then you defer the meeting because you haven't committed to it. And so we're actually going to have our kickoff meeting this Monday and review the scorecard and do all the things we need to do. By the way, my staff was far more kind on the scorecard than I was. I, oh I just, yeah, I totally fudged those numbers. Yeah. So <laughs> the first thing we're going to do is talk about honesty because the only way you can fix things is to <laughs> actually be honest. be honest about them. Uh, and I mean, there are a lot of things that I do really, really well. And there are a lot of things that I don't do really, really well. And the reason I don't do really, really well about them is I don't like them. It's not that yeah. I'm not capable. It's I don't mm-hmm. want to do it. And so anytime I have the chance to push that off, I'm going to. It's just mm-hmm. it's just the nature of the beast. And so we have the person in-house now that's going to be the imp- implementer. I am by far the visionary. I'm the visionary all yeah. day, every day, twice yeah. on Sunday. But I'm not going to be the implementer. I can't be both. Some people no. might be able to. But um, you know, we're going to sit down and we're going to go through that. And it's like I was telling, and, and that's Nicole, and I told her this morning when we were talking, I said, you guys were way too kind. I said, I got the results of what everybody said, and you graded us far better than what I did. And so we're going to go with my number. <laughs> honestly, yeah. unless, unless theirs is justified. But I mean, part of that too is going through with your team and being able to have honest and open communication for your culture. And people are weird about that, right? So 
not very many people who sit in my chair are going to say, come on, let me have it. Anything yep. and everything. I'm not going to hold it against you. But that's literally something I have done my entire existence. Now, the problem is that if you are open like that and you do get the feedback from people, you better act on it too because that will also squash culture if people give you the feedback and then there's no response. So yeah. from our perspective, Monday's going to be a huge day. But all that to say, when we get to that point, is the right are the right people in the right seats? And then what are the other things that we need to do that are going to make our that's going to make our life easy? And I can tell you right now, I would have a significant comfort level as a middle market producer if I had somebody in that role cuz we don't have it. And truthfully, mm-hmm. I hope you're getting paid good cuz it's not a cheap role to hire for. I understand, you know, that's that's a well over six-figure job here. And in the people that I have talked to, I had a couple people who have reached out pitching me on bringing somebody in in that capacity. It was like $115,000, and commission off of the book that they were mm-hmm. managing. They wanted a percentage of the commission in addition to that. And I don't argue that the people were worth that. It just wasn't the right time in our life right. cycle to bring somebody like that in. Even though the accounts that we have justify that, it just was. it's not the right time. It's getting close to the right time at this point. I mean, we've got the level of complexity on accounts and just really to be able to keep up with all of the different things we promise, right? I mean, yeah. one, of the things, one of the things I say at the point of sale every time is we deliver what everybody else promises. And I do. I, I mean, that's the one thing I can tell you. I break my back to make sure that if I tell a client, these are all the things we're going to do for you, that's what we do. Yep. But I can't break my back to do that for the foreseeable future, yeah. right? Yeah. I've we're we're not slowing it. down. <laughs> no, no, we're ramping you know? up, and we're ramp. Right. I mean, that, and that's what's really, really scary. I think we've is- been able to get by doing it ourselves for the, you know, for for however long it's been. But I'm we're ramping up at an incredible pace. We, we really are. It's not. It's not doable. You just can't do it at that pace for for any length of time. Um, or if you do, not without getting burnt out and mm-hmm. and just being a you know crazy mess all the time. And I, I think that that's, that's, and that's really typical. And that was one of the things that I saw even, you know, like it would have been eight, nine years ago that when I was with Astonish and doing the consulting business, which David, don't get me started with agency owners that <laughs> wanted to hear my honest opinion, but didn't really, right. didn't really want to hear my honest opinion. Mm-hmm. I come and, with a warning label, Tracy. I come <laughs> with a warning label when I deal with agency principles and it's verbal, but I tell them, you know, you ask me for my opinion, you're going to get it. So don't get, get pissed it. off at me when I give it to you. And, and the, I'm not the most gentle, right? Like I'm a right. very, very, if I'm, I'm smooth as pe- I'm smooth as silk when I'm in front of a client. But you know, when it comes to the other stuff, I'm just direct because I'm so busy. Yeah. The easiest way for me to get from point A to point B is to go straight from point A to point B. Yep. If there's something wrong, Hey, here's what's wrong. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. It's business. Here's the business. problem. Let's fix, let's find a solution. Let's implement it and be done. End of story. The other piece of that, when you were talking about your staff giving really good report, that's good. That's awesome. I would end up with, because I would go through and I'd be interviewing all the different people in the agency, you know, in some agencies, some agencies, I was only, you know, key person here, key person there kind of thing. They told me who to talk to, which is, you know, a loaded thing. Here I was with like people almost crying on me about, you know, I just really, really would love to see this change in the agency because this is so difficult because of what's going on here. Can you help us? And I'm like, last time I checked, 
I'm just a messenger. All I'm going to do is basically take everything that y'all are telling me and I'm going to go to the powers that be. And after that, I, I'm leaving. I'm walking out. I'm going back to my life and you've got to live here. So maybe you're going to have to figure out a way to, to do something too. And it's not just tell a consultant everything you just told me if you've never told anybody else that. And that's, that's a scary thought, but that's, and it was so, there was so much eye opening going on there that was fantastic. But that was one of those being a psychology major. I also recognized that was the reason why I did not become a psychologist because I knew that what would have happened if somebody would have, you know, had the couch moment, they would have told me their whole life story. I would have told them exactly what they needed to do and they would have done it. And I would have just said, okay, you're, you're done there. I'm, you know, and they'd be like, what? I thought you wanted me to come see you. No, I, I'm done here. I'm done. And I knew that I would have never been able to do it. So I, I would have told people, get over it. Or I don't know. I, I'm much kinder than that, really. But <laughs> there's, a, there's a part of when somebody says, hey, I really need some help. And you offer them that lifeline. And then they just keep drowning. That I, I knew that I was not going to be able to sit around forever. But out of that relationship came my friendship with Kelly Donahue Piero. And I was going to ask if that was yeah. the same group because I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know of Astonish. I only know of Agency Performance Park. Yeah, it's a good thing. It was very <laughs> lots of crazy stuff that went on during that time. Well, period. you very, said that I didn't, but I, was, I've heard it was stories. A, uh, it was very, I felt like I was like part of like this rock star thing going on. And I was not, it was, I didn't really fit into that, but it was great to be around it because the energy was great. I mean, literally they had this little conference, they had a little convention they had, and there's like an ice luge with vodka shots coming off of it. And this band that was top 40 played. I mean, it was so, so over the top with what they were doing with their agents. While down deep, these agents, except for people like Chris Paradiso, who was, Chris would have, Chris would have made it regardless. He just learned some stuff right then and there with what they were putting out. He was able to kind of grab onto some of it. And he just, he actually took the, uh, he literally, you know, went ahead and took the treadmill and became a, a marathoner. In other words, as opposed to most everybody else got the treadmill and they put clothes on it. They, they had <laughs> some ideas. They had some good thoughts. They did have some good possibilities at that point because there was a need for it then. And, and most people didn't really run with it. They, they were promised all these things and they just didn't come through with it. But Kelly learned so much about the industry from that. I learned so much about the industry from that. But one of the things I think I'm realizing now is, you know, you say 28 years of doing what I've been doing. I don't have to use all of it every day, but it's so nice to have it in my pocket when it I need it. It is great to have a vault, isn't it? It is. I mean, and that's that's the whole thing. I, I agree with you 100%. But if Kyle comes to me and says, hey, man, I've never seen this before. What do you know about blah, blah, blah? And it might Chances be the are most you've seen it. It's the most ridiculous off the wall thing ever, but I've probably seen it. And if I yeah. haven't, I know I've worked with somebody yeah. who has and we've right. discussed it or I've been in a CIC Institute or something mm -hmm. and, and heard people talk about it there. But, you know, 
good, bad, or otherwise, our experiences are what forms, you know, the advice that we give and the things that we're able to do to help people going forward. And so, um, you know, I tend to, I've got a really, really good memory too. Like that's my, my long-term memory is freakish. Like I, yeah. I had a guy the other day say, oh yeah, we talked about that. I was like, yeah, no, we didn't. He's like, I'm almost a hundred percent. I said, listen, bro, I've got a memory like an elephant. Listen now, if you here, bro. Some yeah, bro. if you would have said five minutes ago we talked about this, I probably wouldn't have argued with you because I easily could have gotten distracted in the short term. But if you say, oh, we talked about this several months ago and we had talked about it, I would be able to recall the conversation literally word for word. It's just that's probably one of the biggest advantages I have is I have an extremely good long-term memory. So I never forget people. And, you know, if I happen to be somewhere and in, in getting into the libations a little bit, that memory gets even better. Um, I, I can vouch never, for this. That's a scary yeah, thought. I will never forget. We were down at Hog's Breath Saloon in Key West, and I was holding court at the Oyster Bar one afternoon, and I was taking care of the tab for everybody, and it's a U-shape, and I was in the middle, and I had my people to the left and the right of me, and this guy over here to the right was talking to me, and I was like, just out of curiosity, man, what do you what do you do for a living that you can be down here? On, you know, in Key West on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday afternoon. He's like, oh, I'm in the oil and gas business. I'm like, wow. I said, that's got to be interesting. I said, you from Texas? He's like, no, I'm from I'm from West Virginia. I was like, West Virginia? Get out of here. Where are you from? He goes, oh, you wouldn't have heard of it. I'm like, oh, try me. Let's see. He goes, I'm from a little place called West Union. I'm like, West Union? Like right there off of Route 50? He's like, yeah, Route 50. I was like, there's a guy named Burt Leisure that owned a mercantile there that I bought my first SKS assault rifle from back in 1992. Is he still there? He's like, oh, that crazy SOB. He's never. I was like, West Union is one of my favorite places ever. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's this quaint little Appalachian town that got the old white church building that sits right there off of Route 50. Just, I remembered it because I always thought that was a really cool, like, picture of Americana every time you would drive through there. So then the next guy comes around and it turns around that he worked with a dude that was my client that was the CEO of a trucking company that I represented. And I just went right around the table. And the next yeah. thing you know, now I've got people in all these other states that are handing me their business cards. And the crazy part is nobody ever asked me what I did for a living. Hmm. Didn't, didn't tell them. Interesting. Well, I followed I up with them when I got back. Yeah. Right. And then that was appropriate. But, you know, that's, I think that, um, yeah, the fact that I've lived literally, you know, we moved two or th every two or three years when I was growing up. You know, that's the other thing I think that has really conditioned me to be somewhat successful as a producer is I didn't have a choice. You know, I yes. grew up in an era where bully, bullying was not defined. Uh, how we handled <laughs> bullying was we fought about it. And, who, mm -hmm. you know, the next day we were playing together in the cul-de-sac again. But, you know, if you decided you wanted to bully me, then you were probably going to get punched in the face. And you were either <laughs> going to punch me back and beat me up or I was going to punch you in the face and beat you up. But that's how it was dealt with as kids back then. And yeah. guess what? Probably not a whole lot of bullying like there is today. Um, but at the, end of the, at the end of the day, we didn't have, have the issues. And so because we moved every two to three years, I was forced to make new friends all the time. And through the formative years of being in junior high and high school, that's a tough ask of any yeah. kid. Yes. It's a really tough ask. And, you know, I will never forget how just absolutely devastated I was that we 
my, we moved away from Tampa going like partway through my junior year of high school. Okay. And we moved up to Parkersburg, West Virginia of all places, right? Right down route 50 from West union. And we moved up right before basketball season, my senior year. So I would have the or junior year. So I'd have the ability to try out and play basketball and get involved in sports and all of that stuff. And so for the last year and a half of my high school career, the probably the absolute worst time to pick up a kid and, and move them, I had to do that. And guess what? Those people were probably the best friends that I'll ever have. Um, you know, they were, they were the people I somehow got closest to and mm-hmm. you know, everything being considered equal, I never would have played baseball if I stayed in Florida. It just wouldn't have happened. Far too political here, far too, um, you know, it was just different. And then I, I went up, up there, got full ride to play and um, played all through high school. And so, you know, I, I've always been that person that looks at the the positive, no matter how bad the, the situation mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, you could tell me that you need to amputate two of my arms and one of my legs. And I'm going to say, well, at least I got my left leg left. You know what I mean? That's just the way that I think. And so that can be a detriment at some points, but typically not. But I think that that's the other thing is just the constant moving conditioned me to be able to adapt and change my personality. And when I got into the insurance industry and started interviewing for jobs and they gave me my profile, um, agencies are very particular on what they want from people that are going to go into a producer role on their personality profile. And mine literally came back almost equal in all four quadrants. It was like literally almost 25% in each one. It was like 26, 24, 27, 23. But mathematically, it was basically equal across the board. And so the recruiter called me and she said, I don't know how in the world I'm ever going to sell this to an agency principal because you're not a high D. And I said, well, I I guess I don't understand. She goes, they expect you to be a high D to be a good producer. And I said, well, I think they have their curriculum. I think they have their criteria wrong. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, I would think the absolute best salesperson would be a chameleon that could integrate with any personality type on the streets. Yeah. I can literally, I said, I can literally get along with anybody. I said, can I be a driver when I need to be a driver? I absolutely can. But that doesn't mean that that's the best thing for me to do in every single situation. And I said, the difference between me and everybody else is I actually honest to question, answer the questions. Honestly, I didn't try and beat the test. Right. And so, you know, that that actually did hurt me a little bit as I went to try and get jobs. And I had I had several tell me, no, we just don't think that you're going to be able to cut it because you're not not a high D. And guess what? My long term memory kicks in every single day. I remember every single person who told me that. It's funny, man. Same thing happened to me, like in the in the co-ad years, um, you know, at the, shortly thereafter, um, <laughs> the personality tests were just not. uh, uh. Didn't, didn't, I don't buy into them. I just, yeah, no, I, I don't. think it's stupid. I'm like, if if you want to talk to me and, and get to know me, then do that. Like, don't send me some bullshit, you know, questions where it's asking the same thing over and over again. I just get annoyed and start scribbling stuff to Listen, be done with it. I can look at your resume, and if it tells me that you worked at ADP for five years and you had progressive responsibility for five years, that tells me you're going to be a successful producer because if yeah. you can survive in that environment for five years, not that it's a horrible environment, but it's a larger company, yeah. bigger chance for you to get lost, 
it, it tells me that you can make it. You can make it working. It, it, what it would do, the one thing that would scare somebody like that is going from something so massive to something that is a you know a small business for all practical mm-hmm. purposes. That would freak them out. But yeah. um, you know, that's all I really need to see. And if I can validate that that's accurate and have a conversation, the person's got some common sense. Right. That's that's what I'm gonna look for all day, every day. I don't need a personality test to tell me that. And the, just the, the personality tests don't really allow for the idea of of a utility player. I mean, they're not right. really taking in consideration that somebody can play different positions on the field. And you need, I think that unless, I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of compartmentalization in insurance and it does well. I, I, I know people that I've worked with that I, I depended upon them to absolutely pour over every VIN number on a fleet. I, I, I depended on them to, to know, test all the, like, in the minutia. And then I also have that same, you know, expectation when I'm dealing with somebody who's going to be communicating on a higher level. They're not necessarily the same person. But I also think that there's more opportunity out there for there to be somebody who can do that uh, with, you know, maybe with some coaching. I never, I never, what sales business that, you know, what sales that I had, my training was all on my own. I had, you know, I worked for an agency that was more than happy to make sure that I got my CIC in. You know, they they were happy to see me go from a CISR to a CIC and they were very supportive in the education realm, but they didn't have any real training at that point in time. They do now, but they did not at that point in time. They weren't doing any sales training with their own producers. And they certainly weren't sending anybody out to like outbound with Jeb Blunt and Anthony Iannarino, but I wanted to go. And that was on my own dime. And it benefited me in so many ways because I was determined to learn those skills, even if I knew that, you know, that I might never be, you know, in that role entirely. Uh, it just, it was a, it was a good, it was a good thing to do. So there's, I think there's opportunity there. A lot of times it will take a little bit of extra grooming or definitely giving somebody the opportunity to do something different, which is kind of what my life is all about anyway, is, is the idea of trying new things. And mm-hmm. that's, well, that's we something. know all about that. Don't we welder Tracy? <laughs> so I, uh, th- my other superpower is I literally see everything online. Like it's crazy. I, but I do. And like even the most minute details. So you got to tell the story. Kyle has no clue. No tell, tell the story of what you're getting ready to do in sort of the story behind it, because I think it's actually pretty awesome. Well, and there would not be a 22 and 22 if there had not been a 50 for 50. And 2018, I was getting out my planner. I have I, I'm a paper. I have I'm, I'm hybrid. I, I, I love my little paper planner and it helps me just to like write and do. Which one and, do you use? I use Passion Planner, and okay. I went from a very boring to the red this year was my little red one. Uh, I That's saucy. I was saucy. <laughs> I I'm looking at, at 2019 and going, here's this birthday, here's that birthday, here's my birthday. Oh, I'm turning 50. Mm, that seems very depressing. I've got so much <laughs> in my life that I've never done. I should make a list of things to do. And so I wrote a few things down. I probably got to 10 or 15. Maybe it was 20. I don't remember now, except for that. I was just writing some things that I really wanted to do down. And I thought, well, you know, this is kind of like a bucket list. And I thought, you know, what would be really fun is if I tried to do 50 new things for my 50th birthday, for my 50th birth year. This and- reeks of Chris Green, by the way. This is like the... <laughs> 
there's a reason why there's a reason why he and I are very he and I are very 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 close on lots of things, and uh, we, yeah, we bounce ideas back and forth. He just keeps making it bigger and bigger and bigger it, and bigger. It is. Like it is. I mean, he's going to be hunched thousands. over looking like a garden gnome at like a hundred years old, <laughs> working on his millionth flood education video. We, like, we literally just discussed I, just just recently. He and I discussed. Okay, now he's got this great online flood insurance center, learning center, and then who's going to manage that? Because he's out still doing the thing, and I was like, "That's not me." But dude, you're going to need to do that. So we we talked a little bit about that just recently. So I get this idea that I'm going to do 50 for 50 and I get all my friends, not all my friends, but lots of friends involved. And I end up with 50 items. The list was actually over a hundred. I had to pick 50. Like people suggested golf and <laughs> I just wasn't about it. Instead, I wanted to skydive. So I did that instead, but it was, that Plus was, you can a, knock that out in a couple hours. Well, and, and that's the beauty of some of the things that I picked out. I was very specific about what I was looking for. I wanted to be things that, weren't necessarily going to require world traveler travel, which I didn't know, of course, at that point in time. 2019 was a great year to do it. 2020 yeah. would have been a terrible year to have tried to do it. Instead, mm-hmm. I did it in 2019, and then I didn't do anything again in 2020 or 2021. But that's why 2022, I thought, I'm going to try to do something again. I want to do it again because there's more things I want to do. And I had so much fun doing it the first time around. I really want to do it. But this time... 50 for 50 was great because I got to got I got a lot of my friends involved with it. They said, "Hey, we'll take you stand up paddling." They said, "Hey, you know, we'll we'll take you, you know, to Tallulah Falls Gorge. We'll you know, we'll we'll hike with you on certain things. We'll do different things with you." And getting other people involved was was probably the best part about it because it really helped me to get to know some people better. It gave people opportunity to to really feel like they were part of something and I blogged about all of it. It was great. And then this year, I just thought, you know, this is this one isn't just about me. I'm going to do 22 and 22, but I want people to see exactly what goes into it. I want to see other people doing the same things. I really want to give people a bigger, broader base on it. And so I've really started talking about it on LinkedIn to the idea of it challenging others to maybe it's not a 22 and 22. It's two and 22. It's it's one new thing. But that has been kind of a a fun process. And just recently, because I had three or four items that are not going to be able to be done on my list because I had to cancel a trip, I chose to to cancel a trip. I was trying to come up with some new things. And yesterday, I just added a new one. And that flexibility and that, that being open to new experiences absolutely translates into everything that I do, and including insurance. But yesterday, one of the guys that I work with one of his clients is Chambers Welding here in Chattanooga. And in addition to being a fantastic welding and fabrication shop, on the weekends, they're now going to be having these classes that are mostly geared towards women in welding and giving hmm. people opportunities to try something. And so it's a two-hour class. I'm going to do it in a couple of weeks. And it's literally taking like this chain and welding it at different points so that it holds up a wine bottle. How fun oh, is that? Cool. Isn't that cool? And I'm yeah. like, sure, I'll do it. Glass blowing's on the list for this time around. Uh, hang gliding hmm. because there's a lot of hang gliding. You're just right doing here all the local. dangerous stuff, huh? I do some of that. I do a little bit of both. My my whole thing is is I you know I kind of balance out some dangerous stuff with things that are pretty mundane. Like I'm planning on tiling a kitchen floor, which is dangerous just because you know I might like kill other people in the process. But I. <laughs> 
I, I try to balance it with things that are more mundane and, and sure. but, but not but not mundane to everybody. It's things that for me are kind of a big deal. So but that's I think what, it's important though to, to identify stuff like that. I mean, you just inspired me to come up with the fifty for fifty for me when I turn fifty in a couple of years. And that'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see what I come up with, but I'm, I'm a big fan of the bucket list and, yeah. and, but I'm not, I'm not just a big fan in the list. I'm a big fan in crossing things off of it. Right. Yes. You know? So I just think of all of the things that I've done and I'm sure my parents sit back like, what the heck is he thinking? Why is he doing yeah. that? Well, guess what? I just did something you'd never do. Right. I have a new life experience and that's going to help me at some point when I'm sitting at Hawk's breath at three o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon. And I need to share that. I, you know, rode my Harley across the keys because it was a bucket list for, thing for me to ride a motorcycle all the way from the tip of Florida to Key West. Okay. It's done. Now I'll leave it there and <laughs> we'll go move on to the next thing. But, you know, and that's the beauty that's, of it is you can move on to the next thing. Absolutely. So, to, what was you your favorite? What was your favorite thing? If you had to pick one, I'll, I'll give you two if you need it. But what would you say your favorite thing in the 50 of, out of 50 is? In the 50 out of 50, the favorite thing that I did, that's a really, really hard one just because. It, it was probably the, fa- the favorite thing that I did was a sprint triathlon. Uh, Woody Brown, uh, my friend from Georgia, he's, uh, he's a great agent down there. And he had suggested to add to the list a triathlon. And I was like, uh, no, that's not happening. I, I can't. There's no way. I, I don't, I don't even I swim. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't even swim in a straight line, much less be able to do it for that long. But I said, what about a sprint triathlon? Would that still count? And he's like, totally. And that discipline that it took to, to finally actually go from just paddling about a little bit to actually swimming laps to getting out and riding a bike, like really riding a bike, not just meandering down a trail, like actually riding a bike back to a little bit of running. I had done that before. I'd done some, I'd done some five Ks prior to that. So I had some, you know, some experience in that. And then my mother got to come in and be there with me because I had gone through a really hard time that year. So the 50 for 50 was like in the middle of my life falling apart in the behind the scenes is the way kind of that happens sometimes. And she came because I didn't have anybody else to go with me. Here I have this something really important to me, and I didn't really have anybody else that could go. And she was there to, you know, to take video and be like there for the, the you know, finish line. And, and it was just that kind of experience of I did that. Mm-hmm. And I literally did that and the, and the skydiving within two weeks of each other. And wow. that, that was where, like, it, it just dawned on me that, I could do anything. And I really wish that I'd not waited till I was 50 years old to realize that. And I probably at some point had always had that ability to do different things. I mean, you look at my career, I was never stagnant. I never just stayed with something forever and ever. I'm If it started being a little stagnant or if I felt like that I wanted to do more, I just created something different from it. I went on to this or I added that and I was able to kind of stay in the same pool and keep paddling, but I was able to, to explore new waters at the same time. And I, I just think that's something that really people shouldn't be waiting until they're 54 necessarily 
But 50 is a good time because a lot of times there are some things that are more financial. Like you want to be able to do some things and it starts getting expensive. I can't even, I think I actually added up and it was uh, probably seven or $8,000 that I spent that year just on my experiences. And that, that was a lot of money when it was just me and I, I, I don't regret any of it, but I really didn't want to do that for 22. Again, I wanted to be a little bit smarter about it. We'll see. I, I may end up, you know, doing some other crazy things before it's over with. I've got the rest of the year to do, but that's part of the process is, is realizing what is it that you really want to do? And if it's something you don't really want to do, then don't put it on the list, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe you wrote it down and then like you look at it a couple months later and you're like going, that's why, or you go, you know what? Let me add this. This would be even more fun or this would add something to it. Or maybe like you get a bonus round. I, I went stand on paddling down in new Orleans with a good friend of mine, Julie Brendel, this is from an agency in Illinois, sorry, Indiana. And she's coming back down to Chattanooga to go stand up paddling with me in September. I've got kind of a little group of lady friends all in the insurance industry, and we're going to do a retreat. And I'm really looking forward to that one because I think that's going to be a great opportunity for me to challenge some of my compatriots to to really delve a little bit deeper into themselves and really see what it is that they really want to do with the rest of their, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up? They're agency owners and other industry individuals, and they're just some of the best ladies that I know in insurance, and uh, Julie's one of them. But that same stand-up paddling experience, then later, because it was on my list, uh, I did uh, I did a, a mechanical bull in New Orleans because it was there. And it was on my list and it wasn't, I wasn't planning on doing it that, that week, but it was there. So why not go ahead and check it off my list? You, it's a balance between planning ahead and, and making open to those opportunities as they come up. And that's not really any different than what it is we do in insurance. You can plan and you can schedule and you can make appointments and you can really go after certain clients. But then there's going to be those other clients that you need to be like that peripheral vision you, you got to be able to be watching for because it, it may be the one thing that you hadn't even thought is the one thing that, you know, you hadn't even thought about that client. And it's the one client that could end up completely changing your career. And that's totally. what I think, I think is important about that. The, the exercise of it, if nothing else, gives you those skills that I just can't even begin to, you know, to, to explain how imp- impacting that it had, had on my life at that point. So it's awesome. David, you're muted. Uh-oh. He's just talking away. <laughs> I, I was getting ready to start, no, and then I, as soon as Kyle said it, I remembered. I actually had a tickle in my throat and hit a coughing fit there for oh, a couple that, minutes. So. So. Well, that's okay. Well, listen, 28 years deep, what's the best piece of advice that you would give to a new person coming into the industry looking back 28 years later. And I want to wrap up with this so that we can finish on time and be respectful of of your time. There's a lot of wisdom in that noggin. You know, you've had experiences in a variety of roles inside the agency. You've been a consultant that's allowed you to see all kinds of other agencies. What do you think the best piece of advice is or what is one good piece of advice that you could give to anybody who's coming into this industry starting out and maybe wondering if they made the right choice? That there really is no one choice in insurance. I am continue to be amazed at the, the different ways that a career can change 
and, and the opportunity that's there. I mean, there's literally whatever it is that you really just get you going in the morning. There's a place for that within the industry. And, and it's it could be any different role out there. And it is what you make of it. If you are really willing to to put your heart and soul into it, um, that it, it could be anything. It could really go anywhere. Cool. There you have it. That's a mic drop moment. Although my <laughs> mic is kind of permanently attached to my Fixed. desktop. <laughs> Fixed. Yeah. And not necessarily cheap enough for me to be willing to drop. But Absolutely. True. Prefer, proverbial mic drop. Anyhow. Well, listen. We've been going for an hour. Tracy, definitely we'll have you back because I know there's a lot of stuff we can talk about outside of this. We didn't even get into what I originally wanted to talk about, which is women in insurance, which honestly sounds terrible, but I think you brought us so much value. People, this is a woman in insurance who's been really, really successful, and they found a way to have a good work-life balance and have achieved so much i mean the 50 out of 50 thing is so flipping impressive yeah it's pretty cool that i think it's a different spin on the same thing that we've talked about we've talked about all of the things that the insurance industry has done that have held women back this was a great episode on somebody who's achieved and done almost everything that they pretty much wanted inside the industry and i just think it's a different way to frame it and show that it's I'm not going to say Tracy's never had issues before, you know, with being a woman in the insurance industry and that there haven't been circumstances along the way that could have been and possibly should have been handled differently. We can talk about that in another way, but if you look at it from a a positive point of view, I don't know what else you could have done to be able to be in the position you're in right now and be able to have the freedom to do a lot of those things. I mean, you, you probably could have. I just don't know what it would be off the top of my head. I totally agree, David. And that's, I think that is kind of part of the point. And I also, I just think it's great because I look around and I, I want other women who are like in the same age range, not to feel like that it's necessarily over until they're ready for it to be over, that they, they, they have a place. There's a, there's a place for us and we just need to kind of like grab it, find it, make it happen. Absolutely. There you go. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Everybody else, thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we will catch you next time. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 